0: Friends, I want to invite you to take your Bibles and turn over to Hebrews chapter 2. As I mentioned at the beginning of our time together, we're now out of our series in the parables and we're not yet into a series through Philippians that will begin in the new year on January the 3rd. And for these last two weeks that we're here at Grace, these last two weeks as Trinity Church, we wanted to to especially focus on celebrating the birth of Jesus and what it means and then looking ahead next week to, to the significance of his Birth for those who had been waiting for him for so long in Luke chapter two. Uh, This week, um, I read an article in Christianity Today magazine breaking down uh, data on the most commonly used verses in the most popular Bible apps over the course of 2020. As usual, John three sixteen was right up there near the top of all the lists that probably won't surprise any of you. This, uh, this being an election year, there were some verses about government and some verses about God's blessing on nations that got more interest than they would in a typical year. So did verses about oppression and justice in the weeks and months after the Ahmad Arbery and George Floyd killings. But there was one verse, that rose to the top through all the twists and turns of this year like no other. According to this article, the most popular verse in the most popular Bible app, the verse that was most often searched, read, and bookmarked through 2020 was Isaiah 41.10. Do not fear. Does that surprise you? I bet it doesn't. Not after the year that we've had, This has been a year unlike any other. For us here in Nashville, I guess it started pretty good. I mean, the Titans made that unexpectedly deep run into the playoffs, do you guys remember that? Many of us around the city then crammed ourselves into each other's homes for Super Bowl parties. And Back then, we were gathering as a church every week in the middle of a Sunday morning, not on Sunday afternoons and enjoying our time week by week through the book of Acts. I guess for those of us who call Nashville home, It's almost like that former life, that that alternate universe that we were living in then was blown to smithereens by that tornado that swept through almost 10 months ago. And ever since that tragic event, to one degree or another, all of us have lived our lives in the valley of the shadow of death for most of this year. I don't mean to say there was nothing good about 2020, I mean, there was a time early on in this pandemic that we were all talking about the positive side to all the disruption, you know, how, how it was showing us that we had to shake out of some habits that needed changing and showing us we didn't really need all that we thought we needed and, and, and making us thankful for any outdoor green space we had to ourselves. But more than that, the events of this last year have shown us that the lives we take for granted, the habits, the people, the social structures, the income sources, even our lives themselves in these bodies that take blood and breath, these bodies made of flesh, the lives we take for granted are far more fragile than we could have known apart from what we've been through this year. And the valley of the shadow of death where we've been living is a scary place to live. When I step back and assess what I've noticed in us over these months together, what I've noticed is in one form or another, to one degree or another, fear. I wonder if that sounds right to you. Well, friends, this is the last time I'll preach to you guys in this strangest of all years. And so I figured what better use to make of this time than to talk to you one more time about trusting in God when you're afraid i figured that's the best way to use this time not just because it's the message we always need because we're celebrating the coming of jesus today in an unusual way with a little more focus than than a typical week and friends i'm convinced that that our experience of the fragility of life and the ugliness of death this year this this experience that is very much ongoing it's not a distraction from the celebrations we love so much this time of year it's not it's not something that just takes the edge off of our fun, just the opposite. Our experience of the fragility of life this year, what we've been through has tuned us in to why the coming of Jesus is such wonderful, such beautiful, such necessary good news. And that's what I wanna meditate on for the few minutes we have together this evening. I wanna talk about what Jesus coming means for our fear and for why we can trust him, whatever we're facing. And I wanna do that using a passage that is not on the typical Christmas playlist, at least not in my experience, but gets right to the heart of the good news that we need this season. That's found in Hebrews chapter two. I wanna invite you to turn over there, Hebrews chapter two. I'm gonna read from verses 14 to 18, even though for our time together this evening, we're gonna zoom in on verses 14 and 15. I wanna invite you to stand with me now In honor of God's word, while I read these verses to us, friends, this is the word of the Lord. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things that through death, he might destroy the one who has the power of death. That is the devil and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it's not the angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. This is the word of the Lord. You can be seated. I want to use these verses to encourage you with why we can trust him and what we can trust him for. First, why we can trust him and then what we can trust him for. Why we can trust him. I mentioned already, I'll say it again. We, I mean, in, in a year that's been unlike any other in every way, it's certainly been unlike any other for me as a pastor, and for the other pastors who serve our congregation and, and because so much has been different because there's been so much disruption and so much uncertainty, we seem to have found ourselves spending most of the last 10 months encouraging you guys to trust the Lord when you can't be sure when so much has changed and you can't be sure what's coming next. Early on, you might remember uh, early on in the pandemic, we spent about, I want to say it was eight ish weeks or so curating some, some sermons from the Trinity past that we pushed out to you guys that we thought would be especially useful in facing an uncertain future. We pointed you to passages like Matthew six, where Jesus talks about anxiety in the context of a good father who always gives his children what they need, reminding them that, look, I mean, look, look around the, the, the flowers, look, look at the birds, look how beautiful they are. Look how well protected and provided for they are. And, and he loves you so much more. We called you to trust in the Lord through sermon after sermon, through pastoral dispatch video after pastoral dispatch video. We basically said the same thing in as many different ways as we could say it because that's what his word calls us to do again and again. But the truth is, friends, the truth is that that, that trust is, is difficult. Trust is especially difficult when the stakes are high. The higher the stakes are in your own life, the harder it is to trust somebody else with those stakes. When it's your life, not theirs, it can be so hard to leave it with somebody else when you're the one whose interests are on the line. When it seems like you'll be so much more deeply impacted by what happens than they will. When it seems impossible that what affects you could be as important to them as it is to you. How can you be sure that they're on it? Trust, when the stakes are high, is really, really tough. It reminds me of a story by John Updike, one of my favorite story writers, a story called Trust Me. It's a story that he wrote, I think back in the 80s, uh, told from the perspective of a middle-aged fella, looking back over the times that he asked his family and friends to trust him. Most of those times were times that he didn't deserve or earn their trust. Along the way though, musing, about what it is to ask somebody for trust and what it costs them to give you their trust. There's this one place in the story where he thinks back to a time when his daughter's braces needed adjusting and he adjusted them in her mouth with needle nosed pliers. This is a quote from the story. She had come to him in pain, Updike writes, a wire gouging the inside of her cheek. But then with his clumsy fingers in her mouth, her eyes widened with the fear of worse pain he gaily accused her, you don't trust me. And the gaiety of his voice revealed a crucial space, a gap between their situations. It would be his blunder, but her pain. Another's pain is not our own. He's getting here at what he calls the space of indifference, This inevitable gap between somebody who asks to be trusted, I got this, trust me, and the one who's got to do the trusting. It's not his mouth that's on the line, a slip of the hand and he'll feel embarrassment, maybe a little bit of regret. His daughter will have a bleeding wound in her mouth. He's just not in her position. There's a gap between their situations And that gap is a barrier to trust. I wonder if you've ever felt that way towards God. I wonder if that barrier has been there. And if that gap has caused your heart to deflect the call to trust in him. The Bible's words about trusting him are just that. They're words. They're words. Meanwhile, I'm living my life. I don't know what's coming next, but whatever it is, it's coming for me. It's not coming for him. And yet I'm supposed to trust him? Why? Friends, I want you to think about the coming of Jesus as God closing the gap between our situations. That's what we've been celebrating already this afternoon. And that's what Hebrews 2 is all about. Hebrews 2 shows us why we can trust him. He was made like us. Go back to verse 14 with me. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, since that's what we've got to live in this world with. He himself likewise partook of the same things that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death. You see what he's saying? He was made like us, had to be made like us, so that he could live in the valley of the shadow of death. Since the children, that's you and me, share in flesh and blood, that's our bodies, he himself likewise partook of these things. In other words, the eternal Son of God, from his perspective on the throne of the universe, in the glory that was rightfully his, He looked down at our humble, fragile, soft and vulnerable bodies, bodies that are decaying from birth. He looked down at these bodies that get sick, that get hurt, that get hungry and tired, that always inevitably wear out. He looked at us in our frailty and he said, I'll have what they're having. Since they have flesh that wears out and blood that can be spilled, I'll partake right along with them. And he did, friends, he did. He was sick, tired, lived on the road and in poverty, not knowing where he would sleep from night to night. He did suffer from oppression and great injustice. He was misjudged and written off. And ultimately verse 14 says right here, he went through death just as we will. And verse 17 tells us that the reason, the reason he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, all the way up and down, is so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest. So that he might represent us, knowing us inside and out, every single need. I wanna come back to to, to the language of that story I read you from. That gap of indifference. That is a gap no human will ever bridge, no matter how loving and empathetic. Friends, it is my joy to enter in as far as I can go to every situation you find yourself in where you're in pain, where you're struggling, where you're not sure what to do. And I know you're doing that in each other's lives every chance you get. But there will always be a gap between us. At some point, we will reach our limitations and we will not be able to enter all the way into the situations of our friends. When I tell you to trust me or anyone else, it's just my words. But Jesus does not share our limitations. Go back to the, let me take you back to the words of this year's most popular verse Isaiah chapter 41 verse 10 do not fear it says I quoted you that part here's what comes next cuz we're saying hey, do not fear well how it's my life the stakes are high they're my stakes not yours how how can i not fear and that verse continues do not fear for i am with you don't be dismayed i am your god and still we say But are you, though, with us? How can I know you get it? How can I know you care like I care and that my interests matter to you the way they matter to me? Maybe in Isaiah's time, there was some room for that question. But Hebrews chapter 2 scatters all our doubt away because, friends, here is the money backing All those true words we've been speaking to you all year about trusting in Christ. Trust him, we've been saying, trust him. We know we don't know what's coming. We know this is a weird year. We know so much has been thrown up in the air. Just trust him, just trust him. You can trust him, that's what we've said. And right here in Hebrews two, you see the money backing every single one of those promises. The final proof that we can trust him is God's choice to take on our humanity, to imitate our weakness, to live in our shoes so that when he tells us to trust him, he knows exactly what he's asking and we know he's worthy of it. Hebrews 2, reflecting on the coming of Jesus, shows us why we can trust him. But friends, it also shows us what we can trust him for. And here is another layer of comfort you can't live without. Not in 2020 and not in any other year. Not only why we can trust him, but what we can trust him for. See, there there, there is a precious comfort that comes from knowing that God is with us. That's what Hebrews 2 says. God, the, the, the son of God, the second person of the Trinity, the one enthroned over all that is, living in the glory that was rightfully his, has come with us. Emmanuel, he's here. God is with us. That's encouraging. But we need more comfort than that. It's comforting to know that he speaks from the inside of what we're facing, not from the cheap seats. But if that's as far as we go, we haven't gone far enough yet. I mean, think about, imagine that you're on uh, some sort of sinking ship out in the middle of the sea. Your friend from a ship nearby sees what's happening and, and just can't imagine living without you and so jumps over to join you on the sinking ship and goes down with it. I mean, there's something powerful about that. There is a solidarity and a love that would come through that kind of situation, right? I mean, that's a good friend who doesn't want to see you suffering alone but decides to take what you get. But you're still thinking, right? And ultimately, the ship's still going down. That does not end well, even if you've got the comfort of him nearby on the way. But if that friend joins you on your sinking ship so he can save you from drowning, well, that's another story altogether. If he comes down there where you are facing what you're facing, but with the resources you don't have that can get you out of it, well, there's a comfort that you can live with. And that's the story behind these verses in in Hebrews chapter 2. We've seen why we can trust him. He's put himself on the line for us. He's come all the way down into our broken world. But these verses also show us what we can trust him for. It's one thing to say, God is with us. It's another thing to say, God is with us. He's with us. He's on our side. He's made our cause his cause. He's made our enemies his enemies. Look at Hebrews 2.14 again. He himself partook of the same things, why? Not just for solidarity, but that through death, he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all of those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. This verse tells us that he became like us, that he took on our flesh and our blood as his own so that he could destroy the one who held the power of death over us. And by destroying him, by swallowing up all of death's power, set us free from fear. I like to think about the imagery behind this this verse as as if our world is a kind of enemy-occupied territory with all the inhabitants held in slavery by the supreme weapon of a dark and powerful Lord called death. Jesus was not subject to this hostile world, was not... Up under the thumb of this hostile power, as if from another country, he makes himself subject to this world that was not his, to this problem that did not hang over him. He became like us, our brother, like a paratrooper who who jumps in behind enemy lines to take on our enemy for us. And then he, by his power, disables this enemy's chief weapon. This is a a verse that pictures Jesus fighting for us as as a kind of champion or a representative. Kids, you will remember surely the story of David and Goliath. How when, when Israel was fighting against their enemies, sometimes to keep the two armies from having to clash as armies, they would send out their best man to fight. Goliath represented his army. If he won, his army won. David represented Israel. If if he won, Israel won. And the other army becomes their slaves. In that kind of combat, you sent your champion and he represented everyone through what he did. And and that's the kind of image that, that Hebrews is giving us for Jesus. What happened to him, what happened to everyone. That's why Jesus had to become like us. He had to be one of us so he could fight for us. He had to be born a baby so that he could become a man. So that he could sacrifice his life for sinners like us, so that he could rise up out of death and take its power out of the hands of the one who held it over us. See, see, sometimes, friends, the Christmas story gets wrapped up with a thick layer of sentimentality. You know, you got the cute baby and the and the fuzzy animals and all the happy parents and, and shepherds and whatnot, and, and then tied on top of that with a beautiful bow of nostalgia for those of us who have happy memories of Christmas time. And, and there's nothing wrong with that sentimentality in and of itself. It's okay, except that Except that it can keep us from seeing what's really going on in the coming of Jesus. There wasn't anything sentimental or nostalgic about all of this for the Son of God. For Him, His coming was a combat mission. And He finished everything He set out to do. So, so, so with, that, with that conquest of death that drove Him to us, that drove him to the cross and that that sent him through death and out the other side again with that as our context. I wanna come back to the context of this year, this year in which the shadow of death has just been at least a little more, maybe a lot more visible than usual. As of this week, more than 300,000 Americans have died from this coronavirus and the number is growing now, exponentially. In our own city, hospitals are full some of you work right in the middle of the worst of it and you see this death every day. All of us in one way or another are affected by it, present tense, ongoing, affected by it and we're going to celebrate with an ache this week as we celebrate Christmas, an ache one way or another either for, for those that we can't be with or concern for those that will be with us. And who knows what's in store for 2021. We certainly aren't through with all of that. And we may as well be honest about it. For now, we live in the shadow of death. That's still true. But what Hebrews 2 tells us about Jesus and his coming is that though we still live in the valley of the shadow of death, we don't have to live in fear. Christ has already come to set us free from that. Through his death and resurrection, he's already delivered all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Because God is with us. God is on our side. God has made our enemies his enemies and he never loses his battles. We know what we can trust him for for all the, all the grief and the loss and disruption and the necessary concern that we have over all this, and for whatever else God might be doing through all of this, at the very least, we do know that God is giving us a gift. He is showing us why the coming of Jesus is so necessary and so beautiful. It's in this darkness, the very real palpable darkness of our year that the light of Christ shines most brightly. Friends, I love how the old King James version captures the message of the coming of the Messiah from Isaiah chapter nine. Here's how it reads. The people that walked in darkness have seen a great light. They that dwell in the land of the shadow of death, upon them hath the light shined. For unto us a child is born even forever the zeal of the lord of hosts will perform this friends that's the light that you need in this dark year and if you've ever wondered why christians take the birth of jesus so seriously hebrews 2 gives you the answer that you're looking for the darkness will always swallow up mere sentimentality or whatever positive thinking may be popular at the moment We can't settle for chief comforts that flare up then fizzle out. And as Christians tethered to the coming of Jesus, our hope is not just an ideal. Our hope rests upon an event. There's a difference. These aren't just pleasant words. They aren't just ideas that lead to good vibes. Our hope is based on a decisive event that happened for real in history in a body as real as yours and mine, born the same way as yours and mine, a body that died as surely as yours and mine will die, but that passed through death and out the other side. Unto us a son is given for that and that light still shines even now. Friends, this is why we can trust him and this is what we can trust him for. And I wanna pray that we would get to take the spoils of his victory right down into our hearts so that we live in this world for all of its brokenness in a way that honors his victory for us. Let me pray now and then we'll sing. Father, we come to you as the architect of our salvation, the one who imagined it, who planned it, who executed it through the person of your son, Jesus. We honor you as a God full of mercy and close to those who were brokenhearted and unable to save themselves. That is us right now, and we look to you. And we pray that through your words of comfort about Jesus and what he's done, we would find comfort to face what we're facing. And we pray that you would make us instruments of this comfort in each other's lives, reminding each other that it's all still true and that we can trust you.